if you've got a day job and you're not gambling away the mortgage every time you show up to do creative work, it feels to me like you ought to be able to do more creative work because you got nothing to lose. Hey friend, it's David Abinsky here in New York City. Truly honored to have Seth Godin back onto the show. After you're done listening to this episode, please check out episode 66 with Seth talking about taking ownership of your portfolio career. In this episode, you'll learn about the core ideas behind Seth's new book, The Practice. We talk about podcasting as a practice, being a professional podcaster, and some interesting ideas around podcasting, solving interesting problems, sunk costs, identity, just to name a few. As always, this episode with timestamp notes is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. There, you can subscribe to my newsletter called One Email Away, which has the best insights from the podcast and friend-sourced opportunities. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Here we go with Seth. The first episode that we had together uh, was episode 66, and we talked a lot about then around creating a podcast and the benefits of it. Um, and you know, here we are, and I, I've been very inspired and thankful for the work from podcasting. Would be curious to hear your thoughts of creating podcasts and kind of becoming a professional podcaster. Okay, I'm happy to dive in. Uh, I will start by insisting that we get clear about what professional means, because I don't think it means making a profit. Uh, this industry is at year zero. And that means that most of the important podcasts aren't making a profit, but the ones that come out on the other side as being important uh, probably will, but we can't focus on how do we get paid this week? That's not what it means to be professional. To me, professional is, do you show up even when you don't feel like it? Are you crisp and clear about who it's for and what's it for? And are you peculiar, idiosyncratic, particular, and remarkable in what you choose to make? Because we no longer have a podcasting shortage. And you're not allowed to say, well, I made another podcast because the world needs it, because the world doesn't need it. So you said peculiar, idiosyncratic, and creative. Right. Because creative means we would miss you if you were gone. It means you've done something for the first time. It means you've done something that might not work. Mm -hmm. And I noticed around, uh, uh, maybe it's internally, uh, but a milestone around getting to a hundred episodes and, you know, whether that's getting better at it, but also having uh, better relationships or a body of work or more credibility, uh, are you able to speak to, and obviously you've been on a lot of podcasts, have you able to speak to um, other milestones that people could look towards or other things that people could focus on as podcasters or professional podcasters? Okay, so here's what I think happens after episode 25 is you have the chance to say, I am now a podcaster. What will I have to change to become a creative podcaster? What leap do I need to make now that I've eliminated any doubt that I know how to do it, that I'm willing to do it, that I'm gonna show up and do it? What would the leap look like? So I would argue, for example, that the first five, 10, whatever 
Miles Davis albums were fine jazz albums. And then one day he made Kind of Blue, right? I would argue that if you listen to Joni Mitchell's demo records, there's a huge leap between them and Ladies of the Canyon. Ladies of the Canyon is not just a better edited version of her House of the Rising Sun demo. It is a whole different thing um, that we're talking about how many years later? 30, 50 years later. Um, what would it mean for you to make a podcast, not just because you have another one to do this week, but that we're going to talk about in 50 years or in five years? Because it's not going to be a slightly better produced version of the podcast you just made. Okay. And has there been any things that you've noticed from different podcasters, things that have worked well, just for hosts, you know, things that you've noticed considering you've been on a bunch of podcasts, things you like, things that you don't like, any any tips to the podcaster out there? Well, I mean, one thing that's available and really hard to do is to do more research and put more care into it than anybody else. And I like being on podcasts like that, but it doesn't happen very often because the whole idea that you can outwork 10,000 other podcasters in your category, that's pretty crazy. And then the other one is to have such a particular point of view that pulling off that podcast gets easier and easier as you go because it is a particular point of view, right? So if we think about Galifianakis's Between Two Ferns. Once he did the hard work of figuring out what that TV show was like, making each episode of the TV show was easier than being the best informed, best practiced host, right? Or if we think about what Dick Cavett did, Dick Cavett and people are still watching his interviews 50 years later, probably worked just as hard as Jack Parr, but because he reserved the position in the marketplace of I'm smarter than any other uh, talk show host, he could have a different conversation with a different kind of guest. And that lasts. But again, you stake something out. It's not just good guests make good shows, bad guests make bad shows, because then you're nothing but a receptacle for the guest. Okay. Um, so, uh, Podcasting and being a podcaster has been an identity for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the book, The Practice, you have a quote, and I want to make sure I get it right. It's identity fuels action. Action creates habits, and habits are part of a practice. And a practice is the single best way to get to where you seek to go. Can you talk a little bit about the role of habits and identity for creatives? Well, I mean, there's no argument that runners go running. If you want to be a runner, that is the only requirement. And too many people who want to be creatives think that what creatives do is get it right. That's not what creatives do. Creatives do creative work. They go running. And sometimes they're right and sometimes they're wrong. Mm-hmm. And in, in the book, there is a clear distinction around you know, you can still work another job and still have, choose to do additional work, choose to ship creative work, choose to to lead, choose to raise your hand. Uh, Can you maybe speak to that a little bit more as to that 
say somebody's working at a nine to five, but they can still be ship creative work. In fact, it makes it more likely that you're going to ship creative work because, you know, someone said to me the other day in an interview, uh, well, it's easy for you to fail because you have all this momentum, but what about the person who's just starting out? And I said, well, when I fail, a million people notice. And the person who's just starting out got seen by eight. So I think you could easily flip it on its head. And if you've got a day job and you're not gambling away the mortgage every time you show up to do creative work, it feels to me like you ought to be able to do more creative work because you got nothing to lose. And quitting your day job prematurely, sometimes it works out. But a lot of time it leads to heartbreak because you get more conservative, not less, because you feel like there's so much on the on the, the table. And I know that the stuff that I was able to do on the side, even when I was working for myself, when I'm moonlighting doing the other thing that isn't my traditional day job, it's way easier to be the person I want to be because I don't have so much overhead. Mm-hmm. And the the book, and and for what I've seen as through a po- through podcasting, it's doing the work is the outcome, right? Being clear as to inputs versus outcomes, yeah. And especially in our culture today, that is focused on uh, likes and shares and things like that that may that, that don't really matter. Um, so can you maybe speak to a little bit more about? Um, through what you've noticed and why you think people should think more about doing the work is the work and that's that's the benefit. So my podcast started with exactly as many listeners as your podcast as anybody else's podcast, which is five, right? That if you say my podcast is only successful if it has a lot of listeners, then the first episode by every measure is unsuccessful. Well, that's crazy. It makes more sense to say, this episode expresses the DNA of this podcast. It labels me as a podcaster. It is establishing where in the genre I want to be. My next episode will rhyme with this episode and with pride. And I will keep doing this work for as long as I can, building a body of work without excuses, where I don't say, oh, well, I was pandering. That's why it's like this. And instead being able to say, I wasn't pandering. And I still got some listeners because it turns out the best way to get listeners and then revenue is to do things that aren't designed to get you listeners. <laughs> it's funny how it works out like that. Um, and have you, um, in also in the book, you mentioned uh, two things that you've seen from uh, traits from successful creators and creatives have been having a practice and solving interesting problems. Can you maybe speak to that a little bit more about those two points? Okay. So having a practice, uh, which is what the book is about, is about streaks. It's about having something to rely on even when the outside world doesn't cooperate. And um, that idea sustains us as we go forward because it's not going to work when we do it at first. And that's because we're trying to solve an interesting problem. It is not an interesting problem to do an interview show as a podcast. We know the answer to that question. 
um, you know, listen to Mark Maron's interview with anybody you want. You can hear an answer to that question. Uh, on the other hand, when we listen to Mystery Show episode three, or when we listen to Everything is Alive, we're finding new, really interesting answers to questions that other people weren't asking. And those two podcasts remain years later as singular and peculiar and idiosyncratic and professional. And the people who made them have the ability to make another one because they went out on a limb. And so that is what I'm talking about. So if you want to solve an interesting problem and still want to do an interview show, you can, but you don't do it by trying to interview somebody who's interviewing a lot. You do it by giving a different person a voice. So you do it by having a different format that's worth seeking out. And when we get deep into why listen to this, when there's so many other things to listen to, then you're onto something. Okay. And the solving interesting problems, can you uh, talk, about, talk about that a little bit more in the context of jobs and and projects and building out our portfolio career? Like what, what, what does, is, is writing a book an interesting problem? So I was just reading in the New Yorker about a company that is uh, using technology plus very inexpensive offshore labor to build an army of virtual assistants for people. So you could go to them and say, uh, build a list of 500 people who do X, send them all an email from me, that pitches them this, set up a meeting with them, go. And an hour later, they've put 30 interviews on your calendar in an hour because they can, right? This is not interesting work on the part of all of the people who did the work. Inventing the thing wasn't easy, but being a cog in that machine, you're never gonna get ahead. It's like being an Uber driver. And so doing interesting work, solving interesting problems means showing up to do work where you don't have deniability, where you don't have a guarantee, where you can't follow a manual, but where you're seeking to create innovation. And built into that, I think, is the portfolio career, which is to say, I can't find a lifetime of interesting problems in one profession, but I can do it over here, and then I can bring it over here, and I can bring it over here. And when taken together as a coherent whole, it's pretty clear what it is that I do. And, and that's you, that's me, that's the person. It's the individual, right? And not the corporation. Well, it's our work. It's very important that it not be us because if it's us and it fails, then we failed. But we didn't fail, the work failed. And we learn from that and make the next batch of work better. Hmm. Which, which ties into another important idea in the book was around trusting yourself. And you can never... I think the quote is, you can never trust yourself too much and that there's no, there's no downside to trusting yourself. Uh, can you maybe speak to that a little bit more? So what I mean by trust yourself is you have two voices in your head. You have the critic, the hyper-literate, hyper-verbal pessimist, uh, and it often talks to the other voice, which isn't that good at words, that's filled with creative insight and says, shut up, we'll get in trouble. And you might get in trouble. And 
it might not work. Those are all true. But the practice says that unless you let that voice lead you now and then, you will not do creative work. And we're still relying on the skeptical voice to keep us from getting in trouble too much. But we need to trust that other voice to lead us into creative opportunities. And, and how do you think about blind spots related to this? Because sometimes I've been uh, stuck in the past and and then a nudge from a friend or an email from somebody that says, sign up for this podcasting workshop, and here we are. You know, but how, does, how, how do you kind of tie together trusting yourself and blind spots? Well, I mean, I have them all the time. I, they've been really expensive. I've missed opportunities. Um, I think we have to accept that we do have blind spots and not be too hard on ourselves. But when we see an open lane, I think we have to take it. And that would then also tie it with kind of sunk costs as well. Is that because sometimes, especially as when, like, let's just say for an example, a podcast, like if you're creating work and you're building up this, how, how, how do you think about sunk costs as it relates to creative work? Like when, when should people look to find a different practice or find a different creative outlet? Right. So the 110 podcasts you've made so far are a gift from old David to new David. That you might say, well, this took years and it was really hard. I have to keep doing it. But you could also say, thanks for the gift. I don't want it. I don't want to go forward carrying the burden of this gift you just gave me. I didn't ask for this gift. Future David is now focused on virtual reality because all the elements of that are lined up in the work I want to do, but thank you. Because the fact is, you also worked really hard to get good at ballet when you were seven, but you're not doing ballet anymore. And maybe you went to law school, which was expensive and time-consuming, but you don't have to be a lawyer forever if it's not fueling you. And so we can use sunk costs as a place to hide, but we can also use sunk costs as a way to keep ourselves going because our instinct is to not ignore sunk costs, even though often we should. So on a day when I don't feel like blogging, I blog anyway, because who wants to break a streak of 7,500 just because you're in a bad mood? And so the sunk cost motivates me. But as soon as it stops motivating me, then I will refuse the gift from my former self and stop. It's a gift. It's a gift if you want it. Um, and to creatives that are out there that are building work, let's say they're writing or they're blogging or podcasting, you know, paintings, et cetera, how, what have you seen work for them to be able to elevate their work to the next level? I think there's a quote in the book that said every successful creative, uh, is takes steps along the way or leaps along the way to get to the next level while embracing the tension that comes along with it. Yeah. So if you like the level you're on, you can stay there. You can play covers of your hits. You can uh, find the people who trust you to do the thing you said you were going to do and do it again. And I will not cast shade on any of those people, but I will say they're not making art anymore. That if, um, if Jeff Koons makes another balloon animal sculpture, 
he's an imitation of Jeff Koons accepting the gift from his former self of a reputation. He knows he can make a million dollars making a sculpture. He will. But that work is not the scary artistic work of this might not work. And so you have to walk away from that promise that you're making to the audience and saying, now I'm making a new thing. It's a different thing. It's a scary thing. And it might not work, but I'm solving a different interesting problem because the old problem isn't interesting anymore because you already solved it. And have you thought, or how do you think about kind of taking existing work or existing ideas and turning them into other projects? Like the practice, the book, I think, kind of came out of the creatives workshop. Yeah. Um, so Yeah, I do there... that all the time. I think most creatives I know do that. Um, you know, the, uh, the musician who's on stage and ad-libs something in a concert, that's the seed for the next record album. Uh, if we're not doing that, starting completely from scratch is a little too challenging. And have you thought about that with the Akimbo podcast? Just for the podcasters that are out there, that I... yeah, I um, I have thought about it, but I love playing with media. And if something doesn't fit the medium, I don't do it. So, in the middle of the creators' workshop, I felt a book that fit the constraints of a book. But there's currently nothing about the weird edges of the Akimbo podcast that fit any other medium that I am familiar with. And so there's no good place to put it. If I felt like I could explore a new medium, I would be eager to explore it. Whether or not I shipped it is different, but um, there isn't an Akimbo magazine around the corner. <laughs> Stay tuned. Uh, <laughs> and another uh, takeaway from the book and just kind of podcasting as well uh, that I've heard you speak about is how your conversations on the moment podcast kind of helped spur some ideas uh maybe talk to us a little bit more about that i think that's fascinating sometimes i as a podcast host i'm like well does this person really want to talk to me you know am i just stealing 30 minutes of their time but i thought it was really fascinating to hear you talk about how having those conversations on the moment podcast uh was really well, helpful to you so a key part and i encourage everyone here to listen to the moment is that Brian has a point of view. And while he does not argue with people very much, it gets close to being an argument. And some people respond really well to that um, because it's provocative. And I don't know why you'd want to do a podcast where you didn't have a point of view. That's part of the point. If someone just has something to say, they should start their own podcast. But if they're going to be a guest on your podcast, it's about the collisions they're going to have with your point of view that helps the listener discover something new. So it's those collisions that spurred some ideas. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Anything else that uh, as people are building their portfolio careers, as they're using podcasting as a, as a platform? Well, I think if we're talking about platform, the last tactical idea I'll share is podcast in this moment of time is a status-filled ticket to engage with people you might not necessarily be able to engage with. If you can be hyper-specific about an industry or an area of endeavor and become known for knowing that thing, 
you're not going to have any trouble making a living. So don't seek to be more general or more popular. Seek to be more specific. Because if you are the organizer and ringleader of the specific, you know, if you think about Shane Parrish and how Shane has had this huge impact on a very specific group of people, that's proof that you don't need famous guests. You just need guests that resonate with your audience. Amazing. Well, Seth, thank you so much for coming thank on. Thank you for everything you podcast. do, sir. It's a pleasure. Hey, friend. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode with Seth Godin. Special thanks again to Seth for coming back onto the show and and for the podcasting workshop. Would love to hear your thoughts on this episode. What did you learn? What are you still thinking about? How does the practice show up in your work? How could it show up? Just some ideas, and I would love to hear more from you. Um, as always, this episode with timestamp notes is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. Looking forward to sharing next week's episode with you. As always, I love hearing from you on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, email. As a reminder, I am just one email away. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career.